Blog Talk Radio. There is a chance for the President of the United States to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. New world coming. America will become increasingly vulnerable to hostile attack on our homeland. And our military superiority will not entirely protect us. Not protect us. Americans will likely die on American soil. And I believe it will also be said of this age, the first decade of the 21st century, that out of what is, will be seen as the greatest restructuring of the global economy, perhaps one even greater than at the time of the Industrial Revolution, a new world order was created. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Now, get ready to enter the zone where real life is stranger than fiction. The place where the news may seem like a dream and the dream may be a matrix of reality. Let us now expose all lie of the devil and bring to light all the secrets of the enemy because God truth will set you free. John 8:32. You're listening to This Week in the Zone with your host and watchman on the wall, Phil Armstrong. Hello, welcome to the Positive Zone. This is Phil Armstrong, and I will be with you for the next two hours. In the second hour, we will have a guest, and his name is Chris White. Uh, we were talking about Mystery Babylon, uh, and that is covered in Revelations 17 and 18. Uh, Chris White Ministries has um, primary goals of evangelism, discipleship, and service. There are several specific ways that they engage in these uh, areas, producing videos and audio uh, presentation, Bible teaching and preaching, distributing DVDs and printed materials via mail, producing public access television programs, speaking at churches and conferences, and I, and I guess you can add on there being a radio program. Service learning programs such as feeding the homeless, disaster relief. They have traditionally focused on their efforts on ministering to those in cults, uh, in the occult, New Age movement, and all, all through uh, the um, special um, ministries, cults, uh, or I guess you can call them. Uh, Lady seeing churches there. So we're gonna um bring him on in the next hour. But for right now, uh, I just wanted to cover some issues um that is in the news. And first thing first is talking about the uh, government shutdown. And um what I'm noticing from the government shutdown is the word default is being mentioned. And that idea came uh, up a while back. And the, the default is, is like just completely wiping out all your debts and starting over again. And maybe that is the best for the United States. But I don't particularly believe that anybody in, in Washington is for the United States. So this is a ministry for God. So we won't talk about... Uh, what Congress and the president is doing to destroy the nation because that all will come. 
But in reality, you get what you pay for, you get what you vote for. And when you vote for a, a Congress that continues to clean the Treasury broke, you're going to get them out of office and you're going to re-vote somebody who will do the same thing until the Treasury is completely broke. And I think Thomas Jefferson said that. Maybe that was Andrew Johnson. But um, we are headed for a crash course in overnight destruction. The United States folks will one day wake up on a particular day and wake up the next day, and it will not be the same country. I don't know if it will be a national disaster or a, uh, a nuclear bomb, suitcase supposedly nuke. We've been um, receiving these, uh, what you call, uh, terrorists going into buildings and, and shooting folks up, and that's particularly last in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, we tend to believe what the news tells us or what the president tells us or what the Congress tells us. Uh, I guess sometimes we need to stay in the business of the gospel because if we don't, uh, we're going to get deterred and we're going to end up going somewhere else and doing something we have no business doing, particularly uh, in a corner that we need not to be in. I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to come back with just me and you and whatever we're going to talk about. So I'll be right back. Now. Be prepared to re-enter the zone where only watchmen dare go and only the fearless do venture. Now from the lands of the Pacific Northwest in FEMA Region 6, where we warn about your future and the rapture of the church of the concentration camps of the enemy, your host once again, Phil Armstrong. Welcome back to the zone, the prophecy zone. dots and showing you why we are more vulnerable than ever. Greetings, fellow Americans. This is David Robertson inviting you to come be a part of an American Warning Radio, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Central. You've seen the pieces. Now, come see the bigger picture an American Warning Radio with your host, David Robertson, on this and many other networks that value liberty. All they're getting is mainstream media stuff. That's all they're getting, including Fox News. The American Warning Program with David Robertson, uh, just a great show. Uh, all kidding aside, the, the numbers are really going, starting to go up on that program, and I think once people realize that that's on now live Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock on this very station, you're going to be tuning in a lot more. That guy makes a lot of sense, and he's really good at what he does. And Warning. 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 Warning.
truth carefully. Get more information at anamericanwarning.com. That's anamericanwarning.com. out our future and host Phil Armstrong examines what the scripture tells of his coming every Thursday and Sunday at 7 on the Prophecy Zone. What is the New World Order? The people who are talking about the New World Order, Bible prophecy, may be in danger. What do you need to be rapture ready? I believe that the Bible interprets the Bible and we have to stick with the Bible. How much time is left? See more at theprophecyzone.com and youtube.com slash prophecyzone. Hear more here on Blog Talk Radio every Thursday and Sunday at 7 on The Prophecy Zone. Who is the Antichrist? I believe the Antichrist will not be known until the tribulation period starts. This is The Prophecy Zone. All right, uh, I'm back. I'm going to have to struggle to get through this one hour. I got my kids upstairs, and every time I get on a show, they show their true colors. Uh, and a lot of times, if it's not blog talk radio giving me problems, it's it's my kids. And and if you watch my kids all like all day, like I was just upstairs uh, before the show, I was watching some videos uh, from Chris White, who's going to be on my show in about an hour. And um, they were they were they were still they were playing, and one of them's five, and the other one's three. The boys five, and the girls three. Should be four next two months, and they were fine. And when I have a show, they start fighting and yelling, and it's almost like there's a there's a demonic angel sitting up there, just. Adding them on. I don't know what it is. I mean, I love my kids. My as a matter of fact, I was just at school with my kid, and the teacher said my kid was a you know a great kid, and I like to hear that. But um, I I see the demonic fight in each show, every single show. Matter of fact, as I speak, one's up there crying right now, just crying out of nowhere. Now let me stop the show and start just watching TV or just lollygagging down here wasting time. There will be no more war. Okay, the devil goes, leaves the house, and he says, okay, my job's done here. And I swear it's like constantly, every every time I do a show. I mean, yeah, they fight and fuss when I'm not doing a show, but mainly they fight and fuss uh, when I'm doing a show, um, particularly one where I'm going to speak uh, rather than have a guest. Uh, and I'm not saying the ones that I have guests. Actually, the numbers on the ones where I talk for my by myself, 
are much higher than the ones I have a guess, and I, and I, I just don't think people caught on yet. And the search engines uh, may may want to just hear the gospel, and that's something we're going to take a look at. Is doing more shows of of uh, Bible study and and preaching of the word. And today I wanted to talk about. Uh, let me see. I wanted to talk about, of course, God's word, but I, I want to mainly uh, take a look at. Let me see. So now I apologize for the silence for a sec, for a second, but I, I, I want to make sure I get this right. Um, what I want to talk about is Jesus. Uh, breaking addictions and whatever book I'm working on which I'm going to start working on well, this first book will probably be free and I'm going to work on two or maybe even three and the first book I'm going to work on will be a total uh, commitment to what the word of God does for individual, what Jesus does for individual. And it's a, it's a hard book to write, but it's a simple book to write. And the premise of the book is to, and the goal of the book will be to go to the Bible. You say, well, why would you write a book to say go to the Bible? Because you have to explain to somebody that God created everything, so he knows. And it's kind of like what I say to my kids. I, I, you know, they think we're stupid. But see, God has more going for him, of course, in the obvious. He created everything and he knows everything. And if you really take a look at God's creation, you, you will be, your mind will be blown. <laughs> and your mind will be so blown that you'll be in awe. But no one takes a look at God's creation the way they should. It's almost as if we honor science for figuring the thing out rather than the, the person who made the thing. And when you see the creation, the atoms and the and the neutrons and the protons and all this other stuff that even the invisible is, is magnificent. As a matter of fact, the invisible is more magnificent than the seen. That's why I believe that the spirit in a man is it, it amazes me. What is the spirit made of? Did God just reproduce the spirit also while reproducing the human body or he reproduced the spirit and then he reproduced the body for the spirit to indwell the body because remember we're made in God's image and it would be awesome to just say that he made a word he spoke a word and the individual spirit was created. So he blew breath into Adam and Eve, and they came as to be living bodies. 
So that is the amazing thing about uh, God's creation is that he spoke everything into existence and he also blew into someone called Adam and created the human race. Of course, he needed Eve to do so. Um, so with that being said, God knows everything about the human body. And he supplied everything that the human race needed. He even supplied Adam a first first mate, which is the animals, and he supplied Adam the second mate, which was successfully created. And in these days, it's not so successful because man destroys every every organization that is ever created. Of course, if it, if that was not the course, then Damascus wouldn't be the oldest city. We have a, we have many other cities that are still functioning, and and in a, a moderately, uh, you know, adaptable way from the time that they were created to the time of now. And there's very few um, places that are in existence that are still that has been in existence for thousands of years. But I'm going to take another break, and I will be back.
streets are talking. Delhi got some for the day. You heard about Robert Jr., yeah, they can't got faith. But there's a time into the hood. Gotta see it to believe it. Say it's just a son. He'll be back to old habits again. Where's no pretense of transformation. Criminal character been erased from the nation. My habit for the poison's been eliminated. Through God's laboratory, I've been recreated. Cats still can't believe what they saw. And just like snakes in the grass, they plot my downfall. So I stand tall. Enjoy the new status. Tame the flesh. Put the preacher into the practice. And while cats bring up the past, to expose you to the nosy, I put on wax so cats can hear my testimony. Expose the phony. Address the issues. Give props and respect to where it's due. And I... This is all said and done. No sweat on my back because the battle's already won. So, uh, get rid of the gun guy guy. The only protection is from Jehovah Jah. Uh, but in cat's ears, all you hear is blah, blah, blah. They want the bad news, but I got good news. Uh, yeah. Bad news to good news. No more ill street blues. Transform from the old to the new. Brand new town, brand new lifestyle, brand new profile, no more rugged child. Uh, bad news and good news, no more ill street blues, transform from the old to the new. Brand new town, brand new lifestyle, brand new profile, no more rugged child. Bad news and good news, no more ill street blues. Uh, bad news and good news, no more ill street blues. Uh, Bad news to good news, no more ill street blues, transform from the old to the new. Brand new tales, brand new lifestyle, brand new profile, no more rugged child. Bad news to good news. Northwest in FEMA Region 6, where we warn about your future in the rapture of the church, the concentration camps of the enemy, your host, once again, Phil Armstrong. Welcome back to The Zone, The Prophecy Zone. Imagine you walking in the dark 
and um, you walking in extreme dark, and the light when it comes on, um, when we take light for granted until we break our car breaks down and we have no light. Uh, when your light turns on, you're able to see how to fix the car or how to walk through the woods or how to get back to a certain point because you have light. I don't care what type of light it is. It, it's a helpful light. Um, in the spiritual, light is only God's word. Um, the word of God says in Matthew 4, 4, it says, Jesus said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, I'm going to continue to read, but I'm going to go to the Old Testament. So, Jesus just said, we have to, we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, we're not saved by works, but we are saved with careful attention. No slothful individual will get to heaven. And I'll say that again. No slothful individual will get to heaven. And I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to myself. No person will get to heaven unless he commits his life to Jesus Christ. And let me read, if I can, I have a new Bible here. It's not even a new Bible. It's a Bible laying around the house and all my other Bibles are upstairs. But I, I, I'm going to see if I can get familiar with the functions of this Bible. And um, let me see. Okay. Um, Matthew seven thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in twits. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that will find it. Now the word of God says that many will try to enter in. Many will try to enter in. And they will not make it in. Why? Now, the same individuals who say we're not saved by works, which we're not, will call obeying God works. So, in First John, it talks about he who obeys God is truly his disciple, or belongs to God, who who, who obeys God. Now, let me read in the, in the, the Old Testament right quick. Um, Joshua 1, uh, 8. And this is after he told Joshua to be strong and very courageous. It says in verse 8, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mightest observe do according to all that is written therein. Now, isn't that the same thing that Jesus is saying? But he answered and said, he's answering the devil, because he was taken up by, led by the spirit up to the hill, to the mountain. And he says, um, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word 
that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we go back to what Joshua was told. He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mightest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Huh. Isn't that about a blip? You're telling me that I have to obey, I have to read the word and obey it? That's works, man. Really? I'm going to work myself to know that's not what that's saying. Works is an attitude that I'm paying God for His what he did on the cross. In other words, if I just do this, if I just do that. See, church attendance is to be obeyed. So he says, do not forsake the gathering and assemblies of themselves. And some people who listen to this radio program do not go to church. And if, if you have two or three in your living room, you're fine. And I don't know if that counts with your husband or not. But the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some count and think they're doing a, doing the right thing. So, it is a family, it's a body of Christ. One can't say to the eye, the arm can't say to the arm, I don't need you. But I, I then I see some time, I see how I'm being treated, uh, uh, you know, over the, over the years, how I've, how I've been treated, where I can understand why people do the things they do in the church and the way they act, the way they act, some, why some people don't want to go to church. I, I kind of understand that. But at the same time, the, the Bible talks about forgiving your brother or even your enemies. So let's look at God's word. And in God's word, it says, um, I'm going to read the King James. It says, If the Son therefore should make you free, you should be free indeed. What is this freedom? Now let's go back to the correlation of the of the scriptures. And I just took my hand out of the... the, the, the okay, I got it. I, I, I'm blessed. That's a blessing. Okay, so how do you stop sexually sinning? How do you stop alcohol? First of all, in Romans chapter twelve, when you offer your, when the Bible tells you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, at the end, and somewhere in that chapter, you go down a few verses. I'm, I might even turn there in a few. It says that you shall know the perfect will of God, because if you want, if you if you lay yourself as a living sacrifice, that means you want the will of God. So then, whatever He says, you take it into account. And then you can be put into the, by, the the hall of faith, which is in Hebrews 11. By faith, John, or by faith, I'll use my name, Phil, was able to stop doing this because he believed that God, his God's word, as he read it daily, and he meditated on it day and night. Some, some people say, well, listen, 21st century, man, I don't want to meditate on God's word. 
And that's what people want to hear. They want to hear easy believism. They want to hear stuff that's going to stroke them. They want to hear, even if they did want to hear a preacher that's going to tell them the truth, are they going to pick up the Bible themselves? If you can't live by, if you only, if if bread alone or food alone was to suffice you spiritually, you'd be, Americans would be on fire for God. But see, we're not amped for spiritual food. We're amped up. Our bodies are amped up. We, we, our humanity, humanity, our bodies need nourishment. So nowadays, we didn't have this processed foods that's destroying us. And I, can, I like to account the processed foods to these false doctrines going around. See, you see the correlation with Jesus that says man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded by the mouth of God. There's two correlations there. There's a physical, which is needing to eat, and a uh, spiritual, needing to have God's word. And there's a there's there's people who in the, the 21st century we have this processed foods, we have these these things in these foods is killing people. We have the word of God that's killing people. But which one is more dangerous? The processed foods or the messed up doctrines being sold to people? And that's the, and, I, and I'm going to get to something in a sec. Now, if you're eating too much of something that's processed, you're going to get sick. If you continue to make a lifestyle of it, you're going to get totally sick and die. If you listen to too many words or too many uh, scripts, too many, uh, what they call it, too many errors in the word of God, you're going to end up sick spiritually. And you're going to end up dying in your sins. Now, which one's worse? To, see, those, those, there will be some people who will be born twice and die once, and then there will be some people who will die twice and, and be born once. So I want to be the first. I want to. I want to. I want to be born again twice. I want to be born twice and die once. I don't want to part in the second death, which is the lake of fire, can completely forever Brand, vanished from God. So you should not. Well, now America, we have an overweight problem. So the Bible is saying we should not. You should, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We have to meditate on God's word, folks. We have to read God's word. We have to obey God's word. We have to obey his promises. Don't be obeying his promises so you can get a new Rolls Royce or a new house or a new car. Be content. And then if you're smart enough, which God put that there in the first place, then you can go earn something. But make sure your spiritual is first. Make sure you are going to have your spiritual house in order. Do not neglect the salvation that was once spoken of by the prophets. When you go through the the gate of heaven, when you go through the porthole of heaven, and it says that few will enter in, but broad is the way. Broad is the way that many people are going, even those who are sitting in the church, even those who are Facebook saying I'm saved. 
I think of this every day, almost every day I woke up, wake up. There are people on Facebook who look to me and you to be saved, and I was one of them. I can't. I don't know about Facebook, as I never. I haven't. If I'm doing, if I was doing bad over the last like five years, since or since say Facebook was going on six, seven years, then I, I I'm not going to be, or probably longer. I think I'm not going to be on Facebook. So I, hopefully, some people have a brain not to be on Facebook if they backslid. But some most people don't know they backslid. No, most people don't even know, never started front front slide and the backslide. The way of life for a Christian is to live the daily life through God's word. He's just saying it to you right now. Men now shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So if God tells you to do this or to do that, now can we follow, now am I talking about the Ten Commandments? Still I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. We cannot follow the Ten all Ten Commandments. We have broken one of them. And at the rate the rate that Jesus gave us the Ten Commandments, we can't follow those either. If you even look at a woman to lust that, I mean, wow, really? But what you can observe is the outskirts of the Ten Commandments. You know, honor thy mother and thy father. Huh? Come on, can you can y'all follow that? Do not cover your wife, neighbor's wife. Can you follow that? I ain't talking about looking at her. I'm just talking about, can you follow the basics? When you first look at the Ten Commandments, can you follow those? Can you observe those? Okay, so let's take it a, take it a step. Let's, let's look at the one where he says, if you even look at a woman, the lust of them. Can, can you, through the grace of God, stop doing it? And if you do do it, what should you do? Repent. Yay, if I had some clapping, I would play the tune right now. Because God wants us to have a integrity to serve him. We're not going to be perfect, but don't go around as your mantle of salvation. We're not going to be perfect. The mantle of salvation is we're not going to be perfect. Be ye perfect, for I am perfect. The mantle should be, I can be perfect. Not that I won't be. Now, are you going to, we need to come to the realization that we're not going to be perfect, but does, is a basketball player perfect? So, do you ever see a basketball player say, well, I'm going I'm to drop off the lead because I missed a couple of free throws? Have you ever seen a wide receiver or a quarterback say, I threw an interception? Or a lineman say, I missed that block, so I'm just going to get out the league. I'm, I'm just, I don't want that million-dollar contract. They're not looking for perfect people, but they're looking for excellence. A football coach, Andy Reid, uh, is looking for excellence. Uh Pat Riley, when he was a coach, was looking for excellence. You know, athletes look for excellence among themselves. You're not going to be perfect, but some receivers get to a point where if they drop too many passes, they're going to feel bad. We need that conscience. So I'm saying to you that God's word points out, of course, we are not perfect. But God wants us to strive to be perfect. 
We did not go around saying, oh, I'm unperfect, therefore we make mistakes as humans. Therefore, you're probably going to make as many mistakes as you can. Even if it's psychological or, or consciously. You're going to say, well, I, well I'm i just human. Which you're right. You are just human. But if your intent is to make heaven and strive to enter in, you're going to strive. That's the only way you're going to make it to heaven. You're not going to make it to heaven just by saying I'm a Christian. The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that, hey, I'm going to strive to enter in through the gate, through the narrow gate. Therefore, I must put on my armor of God that the word of God told me that I actually need to read. Because the pastor told me six months ago that I need to put on the armor of God. If the pastor told you six months ago that you need to put on the armor of God, by now you've taken it off because you need somebody to remind you of this all the time. We are to, be to carefully observe what's written in the New Testament as well as the Old. And you better have enough scripture in you memorized to at least get you past the times when you're not reading the word. Say, for instance, vis-a-vis military. Memorize the scripture. So if you go to jail and you don't have a, of course, they're going to have a Bible at jail. You probably read it more in jail than you would if you, you shouldn't be in jail unless they put you in jail because you're um, a Christian. But my point is is that you are away from God's word somewhere. You need to be able to memorize the scriptures and meditate on the scriptures so you can obey the scriptures. You say, well, I thought we could just go to church on Sunday, sing Kumbaya, sweet by and by, and then go home and then not even worry about living on. I just got my bread and I can live on bread alone. I can get my hamburger, my Big Mac, my fries, my shake. I'm good. But I know nothing about God's word, and I'm not learning anything new. Folks, I'm talking to the choir. The word of God should be meditated on. It should be, you should sit down and, 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 and figure out the salvation. Figure out how to stop the bondages that easily beset us. Figure out how you can stop the sexual sins, the the uh, alcoholism, the anger, the, the, the gossip, whatever is ailing you. And see, sin, sin of itself could be anything from unbelief to, to um, doubt. But sin can masquerade itself because sin can be fun. Sin can be going on trips, having a, a, whole, a whole bunch of girlfriends or boyfriends, or sin can be just me, me, me. I care about myself only. It can be, and this this stuff can happen in the church. Did you see that girl's dress the other day? I mean, sin is is masquerade on things that we can actually not do. We don't have to do them. For instance, my son comes home. And and he brings a blue sheet or yellow sheet or whatever color it is, but mostly it's blue. And at the top is his is his his academics, and at the bottom is his behavior. 
And there are things that the so I told him just recently. I said, man, look, on the top, if you got problems, we need to we need to help you out here. We can go over your timetables and stuff. But at the bottom, that's stuff that you can control now. And I'm telling you, you shouldn't have nothing at the bottom here, or this is going to happen. And uh, at the bottom, it's just—it's just—it's almost just like saying, "Okay, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to say I don't—I can raise my hand when I, when the teacher has a question. I mean, when I have a question, I can use my time wisely." I can talk when the class is over with. Those are things that you can actually do. Now, let's look at society and how when you're watching TV, when I'm watching TV, I say to myself, why do I even sit here and watch this junk? The commercials are terrible. So I'm, I'm changing the subject from my son to something to me. And I say to myself, no wonder why people are having so many problems. Sexually, sexual problems come from the memory. It comes from the lust. So it comes from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So how do you tamper those things? You got to want to. You say, what do you mean? You got to want to. You got to want to. Let me go to... um, uh, Romans chapter 12. And this is something somebody heard before. It's like playing the, playing the violin, but you need to let these things, you need to meditate on God's word. It says, I beseech, this is uh, Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Oh. Let's hold this on. Hold the phone. Hold the phone, please. Hold the phone. You telling me I my okay, let me finish this. I'm gonna finish I'm gonna finish the whole thing. Okay, let me start over. Romans twelve, verse one. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you got to want to. If you're going to be a living sacrifice, if you're Isaac and Abraham's going to say, you got to be willing to get down there and quit daddy, whatever God, you and God wants to do. You got to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I want your way of life, but how would you know his, your way, his way of life, if you're not reading the word? Well, I read it down when I was in sixth grade, and I read it when I was at a high school camp. And uh, so, how old are you? Thirty-five years old. When is the last time you read the Bible? Read the Bible? Oh, uh, I gotta uh, let me think about it. Scratch my head. Scratch, scratch. Um, probably about a year ago. Okay, girl, I gotta pick up my Bible because I I I was just reading the story. God, God's word is not a play toy. It's to be enjoyed, but it's not a play toy. So if you got the same will as God and you want what God wants, you're going to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice so you can find out what the will of God is. 
And the will of God is is sometimes repetitive because God wants you to continue to read the word because he understands that in this word you cannot in a hundred years or even a thousand years absorb what this word is telling you. It's a living word. It is not something that you you know overnight or even for five years straight. You can't even go to a place where they lock you in the building and you read 10 years straight. You're not going to get this word unless by the time you keep reading this word, if you're locked into a room, you're going to come out with false doctrine probably. This word is designed to go in the spirit of life. So when you're adapting to life, when you're going to the hills and the valleys, these this word is for you, for instruction, for reproof, for for correcting. That's why they had to put the pastor in front of me when they itch my ear. I just like my ear to be itched, Helen. I know, but you need the word of God. It's gonna. It's not there to, to itch your ear. Well, I just don't like what that preacher's saying. Who cares what you like? If you do everything, this is what I tell my son. If you do everything your parents tell you, you'll be blessed. My son is the greatest preacher I've ever seen in my life. You say, well, then he's, he's a preacher? Hallelujah. No, he's not the preacher you think. His life speaks in volumes. When, what I tell my son, is, it seems like what God is telling me. And it's deep. If you do what God tells you to do in God's word, you're going to be blessed. Even an unsaved person who takes the practical concepts of the word of God, even if they don't know it, if you see an unsaved person's life seems to be successful, they got some concepts down that came from the Bible. That's why you don't go and tell somebody, your life is going to be better if you just follow Jesus. Yeah, it is going to be better. But so does the person down the street. Your life is going to be better because you have eternal life. And that life lives in you. And it is Jesus Christ. And sometimes you have peace even when, see, that person down the street, that girl down the street, you see driving a new car and her dad has a big house and they got it all together. And she seems to be the happiest girl in the world. It's because she has somehow got some of the concepts of Christianity. You know, some people go out and they make money and they make it legally and they got seem like they got it together. They got some concepts of making money that the Bible told you to do. Love your neighbors yourself can be one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my guest on in a few minutes. I think that's him. I don't know that that's a weird number. Uh, actually, I see it now. It's it's kind of I see what I see what's going on. So that is my guest. But I'm gonna continue just a few more minutes because I I I want y'all to see that God's word is just that. It's a lamp. And if I'm a big guy, and I just lost 50 pounds, praise God, and I got to eat healthy, but I got to eat 
Because when I don't eat, my body goes in starvation mode and I don't lose weight. So I developed, I prayed to God one night, and I'm not kidding. I prayed to God one night and I said, God, help me so I will I will not have gluttony. I don't like to I don't want to eat up everything that moves or didn't move or got killed. And and I, I kid you not, God did it overnight. But see, I have to eat more than I'm actually eating. I'm not skinny. I'm too, still too, too. I'm fluctuating on almost 280. I'm still a big guy. But I think by, by on the holidays, like Thanksgiving, I'm eating my one plate like I did last year. I was a big dude last year, and I ate one, just one plate, and I ate my pie. And then on Christmas, I'm going to do the same thing. But let's get on variating off the subject. Jesus said that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Now, what did he tell the women at the well? We must worship God in spirit and in truth. If you have no truth, the spirit is... The, uh, hello? If you have no truth, the spirit can't guide you nowhere. So if you're just going off the truth that your preacher told you on Sunday, you ain't going nowhere. You're not going anywhere. And the deception is the lady down the street who's doing real good, and you start doing real good, but you ain't reading the Bible, you ain't doing this, you ain't doing that. I've been there before. What y'all want, my uncle told me, I told called him one day, and I said, I want to get start a business. And he said, my nickname is Jumba. And he still called me Jumba. I was like 30-something. Jumba, the only thing you want in life is peace of mind. I was so mad at him, I wanted to slap him through the phone. I don't want no peace of mind. I want to get rich. What's wrong with you? I want to be rich. <laughs> and then I got off the phone. I was mad as a dog. And then a couple of years later, I, I remember Uncle Leonard saying, you want a peace of mind. And I know exactly what he's saying. Don't let Don't y'all let them Hollywood people fool y'all. They depressed is all I do. And the little girl said, Mom, I just want to be just like her. Like who? Like Miley Cyrus. I just like the way she, oh. And even the little girls ticked off at her for what she did on the stage. I, I would love to see like somebody like Miley Cyrus or Britney Spears get saved. Oh, that would be just a lovely thing for the kingdom of God. But uh, they would have to probably leave the their abode like um, Britney Spears cut off all her hair I don't know if that's just because she's crazy or she did a reversal but um, anyway uh, God is good uh, Jesus is Lord and he's created everything folks and when he says in red in most Bibles is in red most of the Bibles I got is in red we should not live by bread alone but by every word that proceed of the mouth of God and then he says enter ye and through this, the wide gate for broad is the way and, and, and then it's huge people have many ways of getting to heaven the gospel according to Mary the gospel according to Shemiqua the gospel according to Ray Ray there's many interpretations of the Bible, but there's only one truth. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Because 
Jesus just told you that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. One of the reasons why no one's going to enter into this that narrow gate is because they need instruction to enter in, and they have no instruction. It's not the pastor's fault. He can't just walk you home with a baby bib. It's most pastors' fault because they false. But I'm talking about the real true pastors. They can't just take. Yeah, they do got CDs and and DVDs, and and they got the internet. But we are not. We we don't want to go do those things. There is nothing wrong with going online and listening to the Bible. There's not a crime because they didn't have a Bible. 2,000 years ago, people used to go to the synagogue and listen. But see, we didn't have all those, they didn't have all those distractions back then. They didn't have American Idol coming on on Wednesday night and Thursday night. They didn't have the NFL Monday night football, Thursday night special, two Thursday night specials, and then the weekend full of college football. And, and um, I don't know what to do. Should I go to church or should I read? So, uh, what game? I don't know what game. Should I get direct TV where I can watch all the games at the same time and then just tape them all and go to church? I got one word for you, Hopper. Get one. You're not missing anything. And your team probably win the Super Bowl if you go to church because most of the time when I go to church or go to work, my team, football team, wins. When I don't do that stuff, they lose. You say, your team always lose. They're Detroit Lions. Well, I got Seattle Seahawks, and I got Denver Broncos. So, nah. So, I'm going to take, take a break, and I'll be right back. Uh, and we will bring our guest on. And um, I already made an introduction for our guest. But um, I was intrigued when I, when I ran into his videos, and I was just got to watching some more videos today. And he, and you kind of like when you have a radio show, and it's easy to have a radio show, folks. I encourage people out there who are truly wanting to get the word of God out to, um, if God's calling you for that, then do it. I'm not going to be jealous of you. You're not going to take. I mean, if I saturated to one person, I'm fine. Uh, I'm not trying to get famous off this. Uh, who cares? What I'm gonna get, and even if I had a couple of million dollars, I wouldn't get a 16 room, 20 room, 50 room house. It'd be six rooms and maybe an office. Just get my office, and maybe I'm asking too much for a man cave. But <sighs> I would like a man cave so I can do man cave stuff. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But um, yeah. So what? What I, I Babylon um. We're going to talk about Mystery Babylon. And um, I, I can't tell you how much I am pleased to see somebody who thinks the way I think. And that's not why I have them on here for. If y'all check the archive, I have people on here to cuss me out once in a while. So, but um, it's, it's nice to have someone who, and he's really, really knowledgeable of what he's talking about. And he, I mean, just watch the videos. As a matter of fact, I'll. Um, on my website, I'm going to put uh, a link to his website so y'all can get to it. And he's going to give you some more information as well. So we're going to uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to bring on Chris White. We will be back. This next announcement is serious news, and you won't hear it in the mainstream media. We are living in an age full of catastrophic events, and it's getting worse. But before we go on, remember this website. 
Highgrounds.us. In the past two decades, natural disasters have increased by 800% within the U.S. alone. Cataclysms like Hurricane Katrina killed and displaced thousands because they were not prepared. And the 2008 economic collapse could happen again, but be much, much worse. So type this into your web browser, highgrounds.us. Highgrounds.us is your complete source for family survival necessities. You'll find food and water with a shelf life of 25 to 30 years, plus tents, portable containers, light, heat, first aid, and much more. Go to our website, highgrounds.us, or call 1-888-202-9094. Place your order now and be prepared. That's H-I-G-H, highgrounds.us. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Highgrounds.us October 30th, 1991. President George H.W. Bush initiates the Madrid peace process to divide the land of Israel. On the very same day, a freakish hurricane, now known as the Perfect Storm, destroys the Bush vacation home in Maine. And the pattern continues. Each time America compels Israel to vacate its territory, our land is devastated on virtually the same day by Hurricanes Andrew, Katrina, the Northridge earthquake, and Joplin's killer tornado. Is this coincidence, or is there a spiritual cause and effect? In Genesis 17:8, God promised the land of Israel as an everlasting possession to Abraham and his Jewish descendants. That promise still stands. Those who bless Israel are blessed. Those who curse it are cursed. Author John McTernan makes this open and shut case in his landmark book, As America Has Done to Israel, and the companion DVD, The Day of the Lord. For ordering details, visit John's online blog at johnmcternan.name. There is a chance for the President of the United States to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. New world coming. America will become increasingly vulnerable to hostile attack on our homeland, and our military superiority will not entirely protect us. Americans will likely die on American soil. And I believe it will also be said of this age, the first decade of the 21st century, that out of what is will be seen as the greatest restructuring of the global economy, perhaps one even greater than at the time of the Industrial Revolution, a new world order was created. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Now, get ready to enter the zone where real life is stranger than fiction, the place where the news may seem like a dream, and the dream may be a matrix of reality. Let us now expose all lie of the devil and bring to light all the secrets of the enemy because God truth will set you free. John 8.32 You're listening to This Week in the Zone with your host and watchman on the wall, Phil Armstrong. Alright, we are back and we are going to bring our guest on just before we bring our guest on. Uh, Chris uh, has a ministry and their goal is evangelism, discipleship, and service. And there are specific ways that they do that. They produce videos and audio presentations, Bible teachings and preachings, distributed DVDs and printed materials by mail. Um, and they produce um, public, uh, through public TV access uh, programs. Um, they speak at churches and conferences, or he speaks at churches and conferences, service under or in it, such as feeding the homeless, disaster relief. 
And it says, we have traditionally focused our efforts ministering to those in a cult, uh, cult or a cult, new te- a new age movement, and um, and they the main issue is to get the love of Christ out and and go to the souls that are lost across the world. And um, uh, it's uh, awesome to have somebody on here of different uh, uh, subjects because I, technically I've been stuck on Bible prophecy, Bible straight up Bible prophecy, like what's going on in the Middle East, who's the Antichrist, and who was this and that. But um, the, the program's called Prompt the Prophecy Zone, and I, I kind of like tick some people off when I bring people on who, um, uh, like Mark Blitz, for one, who uh, seem to be a little bit uh, who they call heretics sometimes. I don't know what the, what the problem with him was, and I still don't know what the problem with, with Mark Blitz was because I didn't see no error in him. I've been watching him for four or five years. So shame on me if it's true and, got, and let God expose still. I mean, I asked him the questions on the show, and I couldn't figure out what what was the problem with the day what they were having, and nobody messed with me after that. But um, I want to have somebody who covers everything, a broad range of stuff. And I noticed that Chris covers a broad range, and I pray that this is, won't be the first time he's the last time he's on the show. Uh, Revelations month will be in December, so I'm gonna play this program again in December because we are going to be covering Revelations 17 and 18. Uh, and um, what's fascinating about this is he's going to clear up some of the uh, speculation as to who the woman that sits on the beast is or who is Mystery Babylon. And that is going to be a joy by itself. Uh, if y'all hear my kids streaming upstairs, they have, they're beating each other up. They have fun doing that. And, well, not literally beat each other. Well, I wouldn't be surprised before the show is over with. They actually literally night and day beat each other up and then celebrate it in a few minutes with a hug. But um, anyway, uh, Chris, you there? Yeah, I'm here, Phil. It's good to be here. Uh, how you doing, sir? I'm doing really good, man. I appreciate being on the show. Um, I think that your show is just phenomenal. I've come across it over the years, and you're just consistent with it. It's really, it's really a blessing. And plus, to have somebody that's just got a passion for the Lord and uh, evangelism—that's some, you know, an angle that you don't, you don't always get with, with, you know, with, with prophecy stuff, and obviously the production stuff and all that stuff to take good care of it. So I'm, I'm real pleased to be here, and I thank you for having yes, me on. All right, thank you, thank you very much. All right, so um, my my first question is uh, is something that I mean, what you just said yourself. Uh, why do people study prophecy? And then I know that sounds kind of broad, um, pretty easy to answer, but <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a good question, and and I think that um, when, when we're talking just about what we consider prophecy, things that haven't occurred yet, we're dealing with like twenty percent of the book. I mean, twenty percent of uh, you know, the Lord said, see that I have told you beforehand. I mean, that just hits me. Like, yeah. he wanted us to know what 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 was going on. And he said, see that I told you beforehand in, in, in Matthew 24, 25. It's just a, it's such a important thing for us to, to, to understand that he was very verbose on the issue. He talked quite a lot about 
um, even the specific time period of, of uh, the time period after the abomination of desolation, um, that time period is spoken of in great detail in so many different places. Uh, consider the prophet Daniel, who, who obviously loved the Lord. I mean, that guy was given so much. I mean, angelic warfare was going on just to give him messages to, to give to us. And I think that sometimes we we sort of incorporate the theology uh, we we usually have good orthodox theology, like about you know uh, all the all the standard stuff, you know. But when it comes to prophecy, we sort of take on the views a lot of times of the pastor or the church where we were got saved because it, it's a difficult. It, it, you have to know. Um, I mean, you don't have to know it, but you have to like. There's a lot of books that have to read, like about the second coming or whatever. You've got to yeah. know Revelation pretty good, and certainly Daniel and Second Thessalonians. And if you really want to know it, you've got to get into like Zephaniah and Zechariah and Joel and and, and Isaiah, <laughs> at least the end part. And I mean, yeah. a lot of people just won't won't want to do that. So they would just be like, "Hey, why don't you just tell me what to believe?" You know. But um, yeah. and I think that we do ourselves a disservice because there's so much blessing in it. And also, yeah. I think that we we protect ourselves like other doctrines when we know more about the Bible in any particular given thing. We're protected yeah. from bad doctrine about it. Um, yeah. So so Satan can't come at you, which is main weapon, which is deception, and, and try to get you off in some weird thing because you know you didn't know about a particular. You know he was able to sort of I don't know that happens a lot. Maybe not in prophecy so much, but but prophecy is one of those things that has that potential because it's kind of like. You know, it's serious and it's epic, and you're like, and if somebody comes around and says, "End of the world's gonna end next week," and I got proof from scripture, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting at that guy's feet, wanting to know what's up, mm-hmm. when really you should be like, "Nah, you don't got it," because, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. That's sort of a roundabout answer, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so of um, Revelation 17, the uh, the woman. Uh, what are the different uh, interpretations? What have you? What if you come across um, in the recent well, times? I've believed a number of things about the the woman that rides the beast. Um, I think probably the first one that I believed was that it was Rome. I wasn't really quite sure if I was talking about the Catholic Church or uh, you know the Vatican or, or the Pope or whatever. Just I kind of had a general sort of foggy idea that it was Rome. Uh, then later, and I'm sort of a – I like Calvary Chapel churches, and, and a lot of the – they go verse by verse. I really like that, uh, that they go verse by verse. And um, yeah. through there, I I heard the idea that it was kind of like a uh, – sort of, a, if you will, a, a, that is, Mystery Babylon was just sort of a picture of all the world's bad stuff, you know, the, the occult stuff in the world and all the you know, financial evil and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of what I – kind of had up until this new view. And I heard this view that I'm about to express a little bit about from a professor of hermeneutics at Moody Bible Institute named Charles Cooper, by far one of my favorite preachers in general, uh, but certainly teachers of of, uh, the Bible. And and when I heard this, I rejected it outright, but it just kind of stuck in my head. And I started reading as I read more and more, not just in Revelation 17 and 18, but the entire, I mean, all over the Old Testament, it just seems like everything kept jumping out about it. Uh, but but there are other views. Certainly, um, uh, my view is, is that it is that it is a literal city. The interpretation mm-hmm. of the angel. See, John has this vision. He says, you know, he sees this woman uh, sitting on this seven-headed, ten-horned beast, and they're that they're on some waters, and 
and he is, is given this vision. But then an angel shows up and says, hey, I'm going to tell you what that vision you saw was. And mm-hmm. he says a number of times that the woman that was sitting on the beast is that great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And he says in a number some, and so and it, and it goes on to explain that it you know it does things that cities do. You know it gets a uh, you know there's famine and it gets burned and see smoke and it's by the sea. And a lot of details that the angel gives is a literal city. So that's that's generally how I interpret the Bible in a in a face value kind of way, especially in that situation when an angel is giving you an interpretation of something. I didn't feel like I had the um, biblical uh, hermeneutical authority to just say, nah, nah, that angel says it's a city, but it's really just this allegory of whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, after that, it was sort of a search for which city are, are we talking about. To make a long story short, the view that uh, I think that Revelation 17 and 18 is talking about, and I mean everything. There are over 90 characteristics about this city in that uh, section of Scripture. And I believe it's speaking of Jerusalem, but not mm-hmm. Jerusalem right now. That's the thing that's kind of a stumbling block. And I need to say, because mm-hmm. I say that and people are like, oh, no, no, no. But but and this had the same reaction I did, because listen, I am like a pro-Israel person. I'm not one of these like anti-Israel guys at all. I mean, yeah. I mostly do evangelism. My other podcast is just about evangelism and apologetics. And I've mm-hmm. spent, I mean, I've done a ton of videos and po- podcasts and interviews with people like Barry Jamish and debunking anti-Semitic stuff. I'm very uh, a bleeding heart lover of of, uh, of Israel. However, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Jerusalem now. I'm talking about the Jerusalem in the future that for a time embraces the Antichrist. And that's mm-hmm. why she is a harlot. Um, mm-hmm. She is a harlot because she is she is going from... Her real husband, she says at one point in Revelation 18, I am no, I am no widow. I have found my husband. Um, mm-hmm. She is essentially saying that she is, she has found her husband, but the husband that she has found is the wrong one. Now he, he yeah. ultimately will turn on her even and kill her. She, she, mm-hmm. uh, that's on the wrong course, as it were. But, uh, but thankfully, though, uh, a good deal of now will be saved. This isn't the end of is- Israel, or it's, it's not the. But all, all I'm trying to say is that. Um, that, that, is, that I believe that Revelation 17 and 18 is extremely uh, detailed in explaining that Jerusalem will, for a time, embrace the Antichrist. And here's the kicker: this is the thing that that it, that it's all really you have to understand is that that the millennial, what we call the millennial period, um, mm-hmm. is a time that, according to our scriptures, Jerusalem will be the capital city of the world. Mm-hmm. All all nations will flow to Jerusalem to the temple in Jerusalem. And they will pay homage to uh, the risen, the real Lord Jesus Christ in in the temple. And the temple complex, according to Ezekiel, will be much bigger. It will be, in fact, uh, nine times – well, the temple itself will be about the size of the current city of Jerusalem. But Mm -hmm. the city itself will be nine times bigger. It will be on a plateau. There's going to be rivers streaming from it. Mm -hmm. But certainly of all, all nations everywhere will flow to it. Uh, as, as sort of a worldwide pilgrimage system. If you ask any Jew in the world, like, what is the end times going to look like? They're going to say, well, uh, at some point, when Messiah comes back, they're going to explain to you what I just explained to you. Mm-hmm. Any, any Messianic candidate for a Jew must make Jerusalem the capital city of the world, or there's no dice. You know, all the, all the, even the apostles, as Jesus was ascending into heaven, they were asking him that question. Hey, uh, Lord, is it now the time you're going to do the whole conquer the Romans, make, uh, you know, that, that was what they were meaning by the kingdom age, and their concept was nothing less than Jerusalem being 
fulfilling Isaiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets, what they said about it. So what what the view is essentially is that the Antichrist will essentially do what they wanted Jesus to do. That is, of course, Jesus will in fact do that one day. But but what the Antichrist relies on is the the Jewish expectation of the Messiah coming back and making Jerusalem the capital city of the world. And in Revelation 17 and 18, it's a picture of the city at that time. In fact, it, you may be familiar with that weird list of items that the merchants bring to the city in the end times. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times I've read commentaries, and I've probably read a million commentaries on that section, and most of them just disregard them and say, this is a picture of affluence and wealth and you know what some allegorical thing or try but 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 you can do a word study this is the great thing about this theory is you don't have to know anything about history or or the world or Mm -hmm. every single detail every word that's in that particular section of scripture is is -hmm. is is calling you to some other place in the old testament for example every one of those Mm -hmm. things has a a a purpose for the daily sacrificial system and the rebuilding Mm -hmm. of the temple we know that there's going to be a re uh, the sacrificial system will start again. It's no sacrifice for the quote unquote daily sacrifice. Certain items are needed. All of those items are actually listed in that that list of things that are that the merchants sell to Mystery Babylon. The merchants are wealthy because that time is an amazing time of, of, of wealth. Can you imagine if somebody was forcing everybody to go to a city and 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 sacrifice to what they believed to be their Messiah and to God. Now, of course, mm-hmm. the, that would be a major economic thing, but the point is, it, it's almost, it, there's so many questions that come up with this, and what I want to do is, you know, just be quiet for a minute and kind of give it back to you, and you can kind of play the skeptic, and, and let's just sort of see what, what comes to mind, because I think that, uh, you know, there's just, if you're anything like me, the first time I heard it, I was like, nah, it can't be because blank. So, Maybe we should just go from there or see whatever else you want to talk about. Well, um, what I um, was uh, <laughs> just doing was, was listening to my kids yell at each other. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I can I'm certainly. Sorry uh, I, I was shaking right. my head. Um, I can certainly. Well, I can kind of give some of the current, the, the common sort of objections that people have. And the first well, and what I, best what I was, I'm sorry. What I was what I, the next question I have for you, I was going to ask what cities um, do people think that the Mystery Babylon was, and then we go from there. Oh yeah, sure. Rome and Mecca are the biggest ones that I know of. Uh, New York is, is is often mentioned, but sort of not as much. But Mecca is popular recently after 9/11. Um, that's been a really big one is that sort of making the Antichrist and everything be uh, Muslim. And I think that's um, – I, I don't think that's what I see in Scripture. Uh, I certainly see that that's kind of what we've done is that we've always seen Mystery Babylon as the worst thing in the current geopolitical paradigm. And we kind of sort of molded it, shaped it a little bit to sort of be whatever we saw in our current time. Uh, for yeah. example, during the Reformation, can you imagine, I mean, you're getting killed by this pope who is uh, obviously doing blasphemous stuff stuff and killing Christians and whatnot and, and is obviously very wealthy and stuff like that. Well, at that point, most reformers, even though they didn't do a lot of technical commentaries on it, I don't, think, I don't even think Calvin did. The one book of the Bible he never did a commentary on is the book of Revelation. But they all just 
sort of blanket said, well, it's, it's speaking of the Catholic Church, because, of course, it would have to be. It's the big boogeyman of the day. And, and if you look throughout history, we've always made the big boogeyman the uh, – but the only thing with this one, the reason why this one doesn't have that sort of mm to it is because it doesn't make any sense with our current view. It's a million miles from being the capital city of anything right now. Everybody hates it, and it just seems completely, utterly improbable and impossible. So it's not a very good candidate as far as what we can see, but I think that this hits people – on a gut level that know the scriptures because they know they see all this stuff in, in scripture. They, they have a sense that the, that there, why is all this very Jewish stuff happening in the end times? We know the antichrist is sitting in the temple. We know daily sacrifices are going on. We know, mm-hmm. you know, we could rattle off a bunch of stuff that makes sense about yeah. this. But what I'm saying is it's just, we, we, we resist it because we don't, we want it right now. You know, we're looking for, whatever's going on in the news to be it right now when I think that yeah. maybe we're just a step a step before that happening and some things gotta happen before we get to that, but Yeah. 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 That that scripture says it's true. That's true. That's true. Um what is the symbolic views? Um because I, I've heard I'm I've heard a lot of the actually the word symbolic uh come out literal uh, but what are some of the symbolic views that they um, believe that the woman represents? Well, unfortunately, I think that a lot of folks uh, – well, I'll answer the question in saying that I think a lot of times um, the s- symbolic view is that it's just something really bad. Uh, I Actually, when I kind of had that sort of symbolic view, I kind of looked at it as it was the source of all occult – uh, the religion and Babylon of the like, if you will, like all of the occult kind of evil um, that has ever been, kind of thing, and and I, I kind of there's this one part in 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 Revelation 17 where it says that that she is the mother of harlots, and that actual phrase in itself is called a harlot several times, but that actual idea that Jerusalem is a mother. And she has children, and her children are harlots. Is an incredibly detailed Old Testament paradigm. It says it. I, I mean, if you read the book or watch the movies, uh, basically everything that I did on the book you can see for free uh, in a movie uh, form. I did it like a um, three-hour, four-hour study on this on PowerPoint, and you can also mm-hmm. get it on podcast. So you don't actually have to buy the book or anything. But the uh, you can see this. I mean, there's at least a dozen scriptures that speak of Jerusalem being a a harlot and her children are uh, in the inhabitants. Okay, so basically, what I used to believe is that that I inserted an imaginary all there, the mother of all harlots, and then, so when you insert an imaginary all there, then you have to make whatever this woman is be the mother of all bad things everywhere, and mm-hmm. that is of course you have to go looking for something bigger and badder. But when she's just the mother of harlots. Then, then the context can make a whole lot more sense that she is uh, what the Bible has always called and used that idea of the mother of harlots. Is that is to say, see, the scriptural idea is that she she's a mother. She has a sister, Samaria. They both have children, which are harlots because they went against God and worshipped other gods, particularly that another area that God would call them harlots, which was two reasons, uh, that is cities harlots, because, number one, they worshipped false gods, and number two, they uh, killed killed righteous people, particularly the prophets. 
And that's an interesting thing that um, about this, this particular thing is that Jesus is um, on two occasions lays all the burden for uh, for killing the prophets on the city of Jerusalem, and says at one point that it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And I don't even know. I've read that over and over and over, looking for. Uh, you, you know, but but in in addition to, well, let me just read the passage. Luke thirteen thirty one. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto them, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I should I should be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish outside of Jerusalem. And then he continues in the next in the next line, O Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee up together, as him does gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Um, but in addition to that, um, you know he he actually lays the uh, for all the prophets. This is a section where he says, you know, from the righteous Abel to Zechariah, you killed them, you, which you killed between the the holy altar. He basically says that, that all the blood of those prophets will be required of that city. So if Mystery Babylon is the one who kills the prophets, and Jesus says that the only city that a prophet can be killed in is Jerusalem, and we know mm-hmm. just basically from the Bible, I mean, when we have interbiblically, the only prophets that are killed are in Jerusalem. I mean, just in the New Testament, uh, John the Baptist and, and, and Jesus himself, but in the Old Testament, um, like some of them are obvious, like Zechariah, like it mentions there in the New Testament, but 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 mm-hmm. some of them are more traditional. Like you can't be sure. Like Isaiah was traditionally supposed to have been sawed in half in Jerusalem, but we don't really know that. I mean, because it's part of Jewish tradition. But all I'm saying is that it seems legit, you know, that that's where the prophets have indeed perished. Um, yeah. But what's interesting about the idea of mystery Babylon is this cup that you. Well, I didn't finish the thought there about. Um, the, the distinction between the woman and the beast, that's the thing that I think I was always missing, is that the mm-hmm. woman is riding this beast, and the beast, the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, we should all like totally recognize, because that's the same beast back in Revelation 13. I mean, how many yeah. seven-headed, ten-horned beasts with names of blasphemy, <laughs> one head hurt, and comes back, seems to come back to life, are there? I mean, there can't be too many of them, so... There's this one seven-headed, ten-horned beast over here in Revelation 13, which we clearly know is the Antichrist. Um, I don't think there's a, a Bible sco- prophecy scholar out there that would say Revelation 13 is not the Antichrist. Uh, mm-hmm. So here we have the same guy over here, the Antichrist, and here she is. She is a different thing than the beast. She is writing mm-hmm. the beast. And mm-hmm. she is the one saying stuff like, I am no widow, I have found my king. Yet she's turned on by the beast. You got that's an important part of this 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 drama that's going on. Mm-hmm. Later on, the beast turns on he, her and, and and plunders and kills her. These uh, these other lackeys that he's got, and uh, and and so so whatever she is, she's expendable. Okay, so so that has to be incorporated in our theology about this. As they go on to say, there are 90 characteristics that I don't think anybody, it, it, because they haven't done a lot of verse-by-verse teaching with Revelation, they're able to sort of paint broad brushes with what they want this to be. But the Scripture has a great way of rebuking you when you've got yourself an idea, like I've done way too many times in my life, and I go in and go verse-by-verse, and it just stops stops me from, from going too far. 
unless I'm going to be dishonest with a text, you know. Yeah. Uh, not, I don't want to call other people with different views dishonest because that's not how it happened. But, but, but it certainly, it certainly did in my case. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't rightly press too far on, on some of the views I had. For instance, I couldn't say it was allegorical if here's the angel saying it's not out. I mean, then where do I draw the line with that? Because then I could just start making everything in the symbolic, and I don't have to believe anything that says, you know. Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. Now, I, I saw you uh, comparing um, the priest with the colors and the things that they were wearing to the the women that was wearing purple and the, the particular items that she had, you kind of reversed it. Explain that. Yeah, uh, that was something I was pretty – surprised to see. I wasn't expecting that. I, basically, I just used the treasury of scripture knowledge, and if I saw a word like you know, purple and scarlet, I would just go look in the Bible for where that word appears. And I think I found them all in like one chapter in Exodus, referring mm-hmm. back to one chapter in Exodus. And yeah. what it was describing was the garments of the high priest, save one color, which blew me away. The, the color blue, which was to be worn as a tassel, was only to be used if they weren't being a harlot. It actually says the word there, not to, not to use the color blue. Which you, anyway, it goes, if you see the, the quote, I don't have it in front of me. But the point is, it, it, it's not like I just looked for colors. It also has un, unambiguous kinds of concepts. For example, Mystery Babylon has a name written on her forehead, and that name is Mystery Babylon, Mother of Harlots. The... The uh, high priest also has a name written on his forehead. It was the band, a golden band that he had to put on, and the name written on his forehead was um, Holiness to the Lord, I believe. In any case, that it was little things like that over and over and over. I mean, it was the exact same stuff, the, the neighborhood and whatever. And again, the idea here, here's the picture that I want you to get, is that what she's doing right in this beast is she is promoting the worship of the Antichrist to the world as if she was a high priest, doing a high priest job. She, mm. is, she is acting as this great promoter of the Antichrist. See, what, what, what she does, the reason why the world falls for the Antichrist, this is the thing that blew me away, is because, as the King James puts it, the, the, the fierceness of was, the wrath of her fornication uh, is, is what draws the world in. Other translations have that. The passion of her fornication is what makes the world drunk. In other words, everybody sees how into – she has truly found her Messiah is what Israel, Jerusalem has now believed. This is the guy that's doing miracles. He's conquering Israel's enemies, and here he is. They truly believe that they have found their Messiah, and it's that mm-hmm. passion, that – that fierceness, or as the King James has it, the wrath of her fornication is what makes everybody draw into the Antichrist. So it's her mm. job as writing this guy saying, I've found my husband, I've found my husband, is she is promoting the Antichrist worship to the rest of the world. And so mm. that's, that's the picture that the reason why she is pictured as a, as a high priest wearing these clothes, save the word, wow. save the letter blue, uses the exact same yes, language. Sir. Uh, linen, purple, scarlet, I mean, the, the exact same phrases over and over and over again in this chapter. And, and indeed, that, that, that particular garment is used, or that thread is used in the temple as well. Uh, but but uh, anyway, so so it's a it's an interesting concept, and one that I felt like the more that I kept scratching, like it wasn't like I was looking for it. It was just, if you do a verse-by-verse study and you do word searches, it was like mm-hmm. the scripture was was just 
showing me stuff I couldn't even believe. And so uh, it was a really difficult time for me to get this on paper. It was, I did it a long time ago and did did a PowerPoint, as I said, about it. Um, and only recently decided to publish it as a book because I figured, um, you know, uh, you know, to, to put it out in that form because some people just won't watch a video or whatever. So anyway. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All but right. So we don't. This is being a random guy. It's, it, this is originally uh, this is a Moody Bible professor of hermeneutics that came up yeah. with this idea. It's not. It's not as though I'm just some renegade guy who came up with a crazy theory. But I think <laughs> that uh, the, the the information there is pretty is pretty interesting. And 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 as I said, it's mostly something you could get with a simple Treasury of Scripture knowledge cross reference thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what is is the religion of the woman, or I don't even know how to ask, ask this question, the religion in the last days? Uh, now, we know that um, we uh, see a cup um, that is full with blood, uh, but um, what is the religion? Is the religion what you just said of this um Priestess or a woman just riding the beast, promoting the Antichrist. Is that the new religion of the last days, or is it, or is it, or is it a mixture of other religions to go with it? Right. Well, that's a good question. First of all, on the cup thing, I used to uh, with the cup. It says in Revelation seventeen four, in her hand is a golden cup full of abomination, filthiness of her fornication. So. What's in the cup is symbolic, if you will, of her fornication. It's it's this nastiness of the true children of God worshiping Satan, basically. The filthiness huh. of that that level of abomination, that level of fornication, is hmm. is what is in that cup. It's not the blood hmm. of the prophets. That that's not ever said to be in the in the, that she in her is the blood of the prophets, but it's not in the cup. Um, yeah. Anyway, the the the. The religion that is there is, and I uh, listen to me because I have definitely gone the wrong direction a lot of times. <laughs> I, I used to do a lot of ministry to the, I still do a lot of ministry to the New Age, and I've promoted an idea, you know, of the sort of alien possibility and then that whatever that might be a possibility to come and deceive a lot of people or whatever and demonic stuff or whatever. Very well possible. Uh, I, I went along with it. Certainly, the sort of um, kind of peace agreement, how Lindsay kind of idea where where the uh, it, or, or the universalist. That's the one I've really promoted a lot, that it's going to be all, all the religions in the world. And this is the one that I kept. And all that sounded good and was logical. It made sense. But the problem is, is that I couldn't really find a good Bible verse to support it. What yeah. the, what I did find in Scripture, and I think that that it kind of resonates with us a little bit, is that this guy um, appears to be the Messiah, now I think that the religion of the world essentially is what what a really going to be a, an interesting false teaching. If the Antichrist does what Jesus didn't do, he's going to be able to say, "I living two thousand years ago, he wasn't the Messiah. He didn't even look at all these scriptures he didn't fulfill, guys. He didn't do any of this stuff. I mean, there's like seventy percent of this stuff he didn't do. I'm doing that. I'm I'm doing this. Look at this. I have done." What he didn't do, and he's going to be validated by the false prophet doing the Elijah thing, calling the fire down to burn the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a pretty, pretty good stamp of approval, right? I mean, if, if not only is he doing the things that Scripture said the Messiah would do, but Jesus didn't do, of course we know that Jesus will do it. 
Um, but the point is, is that he's going to have a good case. Now, now here's where we get the stone. So you're telling me, Chris, that the whole world is going to be enthralled by the Jewish religion, and that's a tough one. And I would have to say I don't know how, um, other than it seems like here's here's Daniel. And I don't know why anybody doesn't do too much on this, but Daniel 11, the, the last part of that, 36 through through 45 talks about the Antichrist basically destroying the entire Muslim world. He, Egypt and, and Libya and the rest of it, he's just flat out destroying all of them. And that's weird, especially if it's supposed to be a Muslim guy. I've read uh, Joel Richardson's you know, uh, section on that particular thing. I'd like to uh, discuss some detail of things that he talks about there. But the point is that I, I think that if we got a guy that's destroying the Muslim world, then then it could be that we have a guy that seems to be doing what basically everybody in the world kind of wants in a way with the media and stuff to destroy terrorism, to completely destroy Israel's enemies. And mm-hmm. here's the problem with that is that I think that a lot of a lot if if some guy actually does that and 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 can actually destroy and, and neutralize terrorism by you know destroying all the, the because if you look if you map out that 11 Daniel chapter 11 thing, he destroys all the enemies surrounding Israel. So if he does that and then declares himself the Messiah, or perhaps he's already declared himself the Messiah, then you have a lot of support in some degree for him, especially if you if you have the, the whole miracle thing going on. But after mm-hmm. he appears to rise from the dead, or whether he really does or not, I'm not quite sure, but then it's a whole new ball game. Um, yeah. And we've got another situation going on after that. But we have to recognize that issue is you know, the two witnesses. They're killed by the Antichrist uh, in Jerusalem. And the city gives gifts to everybody when they're dead. Now, this is towards the end of this whole saga. But, but they're excited that he's dead. Another thing is, like, when, when he declares himself to be God, it starts the greatest genocide killing of, that's ever been or, or ever will be. He sits in the temple and basically says, all right, guys, go kill everybody that's not on board. And the reason why Jesus says, if you're in Jerusalem at that time, you've got to flee, just get out of town, is because the epicenter of that order comes temple, if you will. So, so what I'm trying to say to you is that there are people in Jerusalem that don't think him sitting in the temple is an abomination at all. They think it's pretty good because there's mm-hmm. enough people to carry out this ridiculous order. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that there seems to be this, this, this flavor of that. So it's a... So anyway, um, it's a tough one to say that, oh, yeah, all day, one day the whole world is going to be all into, you know, thinking that the Jewish Messiah has come and is going to be enthralled by that because we don't see it, that as a possibility. But this is what I said about this, especially in my research in, into New Age ministry, is that Satan's best lies, the ones that he can really, really get you with, must have a really good, good kernel of truth. And what better kernel of truth do you have? Than, than the scriptures and, you know, because everybody kind of probably has in the back of their mind that really God's world, I mean in a true sense, the creator of this world and everything else, there's something to do with Jerusalem and there's something to do with the Jewish people. We kind of instinctively give it some cred if if that happened. And I'm talking about everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of Romans too. You know, we all we all have been given a certain amount of, understanding perhaps that will be at play but i do know this what satan is going to do 
what I think that he's going to do in this situation is going to be playing on a good amount of truth. The Messiah really will come back, and he really will do all those things that, that, that the Antichrist is going to claim that he's fulfilling. So he's really it's operating with a great deal of truth on his side, but he's just trying to push the timeline forward and do it artificially. Yeah, yeah. Did you cover uh, the seven hills or the seven mountains? Uh, what they said talks about and yes. describing. Okay, yeah, because um, the the I was just kind of that seems to be one of the um, physical tacticalities that they use to say Rome is is, is it. Me myself, uh, I have. I mean, I, I've I've more or less toyed with the word mystery. And the reason why uh, Jerusalem came up is because it was the city that the prophets were slain in. And and I was thinking that maybe the Bible was trying to tell us something. Uh, And a lot of times people overstudy. Uh, I'm not not trying to say overstudy. Maybe I should come up with another word. They pass the house and have to come all the way back. Um. I look at um, things, little hints in the Bible. Sometimes you can't look at them all the time. You need word upon line upon line, precept upon precept. Like, for instance, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Most of my guests believe now it's somewhere in the future, far future. Uh, some of them believe it's pre-trib. I believe that it tells it us about bearing the weapons, or burning the weapons for seven years. Um, just little things gives us hints. But, right, it it, it just talks about... Um, it, it tells us to me. It tells us who it is. I mean, just by telling us that you know a couple of verses that they they you know the murder of Jesus or where where that happened at. So um, right. I actually don't think I don't think it was supposed to be as cryptic as it, as it was. I think it's quite obvious. Uh, John calls Jerusalem the great city um, in that book. He calls. He gives it the title, The Great City. He's referring to Jerusalem. He said, and it's interesting in in that section in Revelation 11 um, when he says this because um, it says that the, the two witnesses will be killed in the great, the great city, which spiritually yeah. is called Sodom and Egypt, where our mm-hmm. Lord was. If you look at just the information in that verse, obviously that's Jerusalem, where the Lord was crucified. But here in Revelation, John's doing two things that, that make us know that, uh, that are applicable to Revelation 17. First, he says it's the great city, which is the same word that it's used of Mystery Babylon. But it's also spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. That is, Jerusalem, which is doing something bad here, that is killing the two witnesses, is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, even in the book of Revelation at this time. So we have this concept that there is a spiritual uh, tendency or, or name, if you will, and of course that's what Mystery Babylon means. It, it, uh, it, it's the, a mystery name only in that sense. Um, yeah. But anyways, no. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So do you? Do you, this is a, kind of off the subject, still on the subject. Um, as far as a um, is Jerusalem being the city. Um, the capital of the world. Um, what empire do you believe will set Jerusalem as the world um, capital? In other words, there's some people who believe that Europe will be it. Some people believe that they, they will go solo. Me, myself, I believe it's a Mediterranean Union with Europe involved. 
in Africa, northern Northern Africa and the Middle East. Um, what do you believe? That's a good question, and I don't really know the answer to it. I'm trying. I think the answer is in Daniel 11, uh, 36 and following. Um, I, I have a slightly different view on Daniel 2 and 7. I don't think that they are equal. I think that Daniel 7 is fully applicable to the end times. They are. I, um, there's a great paper out there called Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 equal or not equal, but I've also done a few videos on it. But it, it, to make a long story short, I don't know how this all, the run-up to this ends, but I know that at some point, whatever it is, whatever um, whatever political entity that the that the Antichrist comes from is sort of negated by the time he really does a lot of this stuff. He he uses it as a springboard, if you will. If I was to make a guess, this is totally a guess. Please don't take too much out of it. I think that based on a few things, particularly Daniel eight, and then um, uh, and, and contrasting that with seven and, and eleven, I feel like it's somewhere. In Greece, actually, somewhere that that is that is around Greece, uh, that he that he would uh, initially uh, come from, but I don't know. But um, so I don't really have much to say in terms of what to look for in terms of you know is it this union or that union. I have been burned so many times in the things that I have thought about that and and whatnot. I'm just trying to really keep it keep it scriptural at this point. And to be honest, I just don't see what the Bible's talking about in our modern world just yet. So I'm not really looking too hard, so I could be. Um, but let me jump on two things here uh, quick. Is first of that seven hills, because I know any, any listener that would be the pr- first thing on their mind is, is what about the seven hills? And the the thing about that is that you have to remember the whole idea. She's sitting on a seven-headed beast. Um, that's what's in view here in Revelation 17:9 when it says, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Now, this is it. This is the problem that's, that's caused so much confusion, is that in Revelation 17.10 in the King James, it says, there are also seven kings, as if the seven heads, which are seven mountains, so on which the woman sits, there are also seven kings. Like the seven kings are something different than the seven heads. But if you look at it, literally any other version uh, of this particular thing, and, and keep in mind, this is not a King James versus other, you know, this isn't a Textus Receptus issue or anything like that. The underlying Greek is the exact same, but this is just a, a for lack of a better word, a mistranslation of the word are. So, so, so it says, there are all, so this is what 179 says. This calls, mine has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. What's that? Oh, the seven heads. Something is going on. Did I get hung up on? No, you, you hear me? Hello? Okay. Okay, me? yeah, something was going on there. I couldn't tell what was going on. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. yeah uh, what okay, I, so 179. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Guy's hung up, uh, so I have to call him. Go ahead. Go ahead. What you saying? Okay. Well, um, yeah, so so Revelation 17:10, and I'm going to read from, in this case, the ESV, but you could read literally any other translation besides the King James. It says, "As um, this is the mind that, uh, with wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. So the difference is here that 
the King James is saying there, the seven heads are seven mountains. And then it says in the next verse, there are also seven kings. But every other version is saying that the seven heads are seven mountains and they are also seven kings. So what we should, should be looking here is not mountains, but kings. Now, this makes a ton more sense contextually because if you were to take that what we're supposed to mean, what Scripture is supposed to be telling us here is that that whatever city this is sits on seven mountains, then then the symbolism completely breaks down because we've got – if the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, which is the Antichrist, those seven heads are really just seven hills in Rome, then what what in the world does all the symbolism mean that he goes on to talk about like – you know, one of those heads gets a, a deadly wound, which is healed, and the rest of it. What are we supposed to believe now that the, that one of these hills in Rome gets shot with a cannon or something? And and you know, none of the symbolism makes any sense. But if you read it like literally every version has it now, is that the seven heads are seven are, are seven mountains. They are also seven kings. Then these are seven kings that, that Christ, if you will, five of whom have fallen, one is and the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. We all know that's talking about the Antichrist. So, so what I'm saying is this beast, the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, is, is not in any way supposed to represent uh, uh, the city itself. That's the Antichrist. If you want to talk about where the city is, you at least have to talk about the waters that she sits on. And, and at those waters, the angel says that this all where the prostitute is seated is peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So, so the Antichrist, if you will, is over peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. But with this idea, which is, it goes to, unfortunately, it's been a thing repeated since the, the um, uh, uh, Reformation, is, and it completely makes no sense symbolically. It, the Antichrist is the Antichrist. He's not hills in Rome. The city itself is what she is. Do you see what I'm saying? She's the city. She is riding the Antichrist, but he's not hills in Rome. His seven heads are kings, not hills, and all the other versions better reflect that. And it's a grammatical thing that you can see. I did a video about it and talked a little bit about it as well, but to great detail about it in the book and also in the free videos online at the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. Okay, yeah. Uh, you have uh, more than... You have a lot of information on your website. Uh, is the first by first uh, that you give that? Uh, yeah, verse by verse Bible teaching dot com is what I did a lot of the just regular verse by verse stuff on. But then I started doing more prophecy stuff, so I created, I kind of merged the sites, and so the main one is yeah. BibleProphecyTalk dot com. Okay, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and, and, that's all. and maybe. Perhaps there's one other thing that I would like to maybe – I mean, how much time do you think we have? Just maybe two or three more minutes at least? Yeah, about two minutes. Well, well yeah, about, about eight minutes. Okay. I wanted to say something because in, invariably whenever I mention this, somebody will have a the critique that I need to deal with really quickly. The critique is wow. a good one, and, and it goes like this. They'll say, if Jerusalem is, 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 is the mystery Babylon – then it doesn't make sense because Mystery Babylon is destroyed and it's never to be found again. So, and we know that in the Millennial Kingdom, when it really does come, there's obviously Jerusalem there. And not just that, we've got the New Jerusalem, a little one that's like totally different, you know. So, so we've got these Jerusalems in the future that, that are clearly a part of our eschatological future. So how in the world can I be saying that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed? And so here's the answer to this, and this is this is really really interesting. 
So in the millennium, and I discussed this a little bit briefly, you can grab this from a lot of the millennial passages like Isaiah 65, certainly the last eight chapters of Ezekiel, which are all about the millennium, Ezekiel 40 through 48. Um, and, And they describe the Jerusalem of the millennium, and it is way different. It's actually, scholars debate where exactly it's located, but there's hardly any scholar that actually thinks it's located where it is now. Most of them think it's south of modern-day Jerusalem. Some, some say Bethlehem. Some say Shiloh. Some say Ramoth. I can't remember the third one that they proposed. But these aren't people that believe the same things I do. They just are reading the text and say, well, Jerusalem clearly is in a different place. But in addition, this, the, the city of the millennium is nine times bigger. It's on a plateau. It's got a river running out of both sides. Um, and it's a different place. The temple is about the size of the current city of Jerusalem. And the last words of the book of Ezekiel give it a different name. It describes this ridiculously different place. And then it says, the name of the city from that day shall be, uh, uh, well, basically it's translated as the Lord is, is there. Uh, but some people just don't transliterate it. But anyway, the point is that, that, that God calls that place Jerusalem. And then later on, he's going to call the new Jerusalem Jerusalem which is like 1,500 miles long and, and covers the entire Middle East, basically. We could go on about the differences there. But it's still Jerusalem, even though it's not Jerusalem as we know it. In, in the end, nobody would really doubt that in Revelation 16, in Zechariah, that, the, that, the, that Jerusalem is split into three parts by the earthquake in the last bowls. And it's so completely destroyed, the Mount of Olives, we know, I mean, we know that. I mean, it's split in half and everything else. We know that the place is, is not protected in the end times to the degree that the city splits in three parts and the Mount of Olives splits in two. Um, but the reason that he does that is, is to, to get out the, the remnant. If you read that Mount of Olives splitting passage, he's getting the remnant out right before the last of the last of the bold judgments because um, that's, that's essentially the purpose for that, that splitting of the Mount of Olives is to make them a pathway out so that he can complete the wrath against Mystery Babylon, Revelation 16 and 19, and also you can cross-reference that with uh, Zechariah 13 to 14. So, so anyway, so yeah, the, the, I am fully aware that, 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 uh, that we're going to have Jerusalem in the millennium and, and indeed in the eternal kingdom, but they are not in the same place. They are certainly not the same, but, but God and Jerusalem just the same. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Uh, I thank you so much for coming on uh, the show. I want you to give a, one more time your website. Sure. My website is um, BibleProphecyTalk.com. But if most of the evangelism stuff and whatever else that I do, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff is on my regular website, which is nowhere to run radio.com. Okay, thank you, brother. Um, we uh, need to get together again um, because I've noticed that there's other things you you talk about as well, and I like to also um, do you 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 actually um, go through the whole book of Revelations. Uh, I don't, but if somebody's interested in a good commentary on Revelation, I think one of the best ones out there is RevelationCommentary.org. It's online for free. RevelationCommentary.org. I agree with most of that commentary. Okay, great. Thank you. God bless you, brother. 
and I'll be praying for you. Minister. You too. I, I really do want to hook up sometime, even if you just you know come on my show or whatever. I think that we've really got a lot of areas of interest, especially in just passion for uh, the loss. And I heard you talking about holiness and and the need and the lack thereof, and, and a lot in the Christian world today. And we could really uh, uh, get down and talk about a lot of that stuff. All right, that sounds good. Now, let me ask you a big favor. Um, that can you give uh, somebody don't, out there don't know Jesus? Can you uh, invite them to, to know the Lord? I would be glad to. Um, for me, I said always that I I said I was a Christian for a long time. Uh, most of my life, you know, I said the sinner's prayer three hundred times and all the rest of it. But um, but I wasn't. I know that now. Um, because I mean, I was I was completely enslaved by every kind of sin you could think of, and looking back on what changed, because I had I believed I really did. I mean, I, I believed um, that Jesus was who He said He was. I had sort of an intellectual understanding that I knew that it was true, and I would even pray from time to time that God would so, sort of help me with all these these terrible addictions that I had and everything. And it wasn't the addictions that were essentially keeping me away from God. What it was was essentially repentance. God says that we need to repent and believe. And repentance isn't just stopping your sin. It's being willing in your heart to stop your sin. He'll help you with the sin-stopping stuff, but you've got to, like, be willing to make him boss in your life and say, look, okay, you're the boss. I'm no longer the boss. All my dreams for my life and and all this stuff, I'm going to, I don't, you know, I'm willing to put it all, I love you more than I love this thing or that thing or whatever. And it's that moment in my life when I really decided to really make him Lord of my life is that that's when I really found coming on like he began to change my heart, give me new desires, do the stuff that I couldn't do. You know, I mean, he made me want the things that I used to hate. And then he started to make me hate the bad things that I used to love. It's his Holy Spirit that changes you and gives you the ability to be free from sin. But you need to first be willing to repent. You need to be willing to say, look, you'll be the boss. I'll be. I'll take the back seat. Let's do it your way, not my way, and then take a step in that direction. And that, for me, is how I uh, was saved. Yes, indeed. All right, brother. Thank you so much for coming on, and God bless you and your ministry and your family. And uh, I'm beginning in touch with you soon to uh, talk about what our next step and and, and sharing the God's story. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. It's, it was a pleasure talking with you. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And let me see if I can find a commercial. But I hope y'all enjoyed that uh that uh interview. Uh, I certainly did. We'll be right back. Romans six twenty three says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're listening to the Prosperous on Box Talk Radio. This next announcement is serious news, and you won't hear it in the mainstream media. We are living in an age full of catastrophic events, and it's getting worse. But before we go on, remember this website, highgrounds.us. In the past two decades, natural disasters have increased by 800% within the U.S. alone. Cataclysms like Hurricane Katrina killed and displaced thousands because they were not prepared. And the 2008 economic collapse could happen again, but be much, much worse. 
So type this into your web browser, highgrounds.us. Highgrounds.us is your complete source for family survival necessities. You'll find food and water with a shelf life of 25 to 30 years, plus tents, portable containers, light, heat, first aid, and much more. Go to our website, highgrounds.us, or call 1-888-202-9094. Place your order now and be prepared. That's H-I-G-H, highgrounds.us. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Highgrounds.us. All right. The archive where we got excellent shows. Also, go to our website at www.pzrn.org and check out news, uh, Bible prophecy news that's going on in the world. And uh, also, check out uh, check us out on Facebook, uh, Prophecy Zone Radio News, uh, and also the Prophecy Zone group. God bless y'all, and y'all have a wonderful day. You have been listening to The Prophecy Zone on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to check out our website at www.pzrn.org. Also, like us on Facebook at Prophecy Zone Radio News and at YouTube at Prophecy Zone. Be sure to check us out next time on The Prophecy Zone as we explore the past, Observe the present and hope for the soon future return of the Savior Jesus.